This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. In case you missed it, and it's worth hearing again, some highlights from Thursday's CARP mayoral debate, the first of only two such encounters. And an old world pursuit is coming back as a 21st century pastime. We'll talk about foraging. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. American retirees are getting the biggest Social Security increase in decades. The annual benefit is indexed to inflation, and the boost for 2023 is 8.7%, the highest since 1981. Of course, it's because inflation is high. About 70 million Americans get the benefit, and last year the average monthly amount was $1,658. Canada will help buy a plot of land in France that was once stormed by Allied troops on D-Day during World War II. A French developer had planned to build two condos in the area, but Canada feared the construction would impact a nearby museum, the Juneau Beach Centre, that commemorates Canadian soldiers who died during the war. The local town will buy the land back, with Canada contributing nearly $4 million. The land is historically significant. It's where Allied troops first arrived ashore in France on the 6th of June, 1944, known as D-Day, and also where the Battle of Normandy took place. Stanford University has apologized for suppressing Jewish student admissions in the 1950s and for denying it had done so in the years that followed. The university also issued a report that found that some administrators had regularly misled people who raised concerns about anti-Jewish bias. The university's president apologized, calling it appalling anti-Semitic activity. Several colleges and universities, including Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth, limited Jewish enrollment in the 1920s through the 1960s, but Stanford had long denied rumors that it had used similar practices. I'm Libby Zimmer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Municipal elections are less than two weeks away, and a lot of people in Toronto are frustrated. As I move around the city, I get the sense of a city that has given up trying to manage and coordinate and deliver the basics while we are in the midst of a tremendous growth spurt. That growth seems to be the justification for dirty streets, overflowing garbage cans, year-old potholes, abandoned construction equipment blocking traffic lanes, or the stench of overflowing sewage invading a neighborhood. Earlier this week, I moderated the first of only two mayoral debates, and I asked the five candidates how they would actually improve this and get things done. You'll hear incumbent John Tory, followed by urbanist Gil Peñalosa, 
analyst Chloe Brown, entrepreneur Jack Yan, and activist Sarah Kleimanhaig. I'm not satisfied uh, with our performance. And in fact, uh, in a number of areas, we've given some direction. And let's remember, we did go through an awful pandemic where it made it much more difficult for some of the people to do their jobs. And you're seeing some of the consequences we're now. And when I talk about recovering Toronto, part of it is to recover uh, people back to doing their jobs the the way they did them before. But I think that um, we have to place a greater priority in some of these things. And people talk about the washrooms not being open in the winter. Well, the fact is those washrooms were built decades ago and nobody thought that they should be open in the winter back when they built them. But the process of winterizing them, on which we've set aside millions of dollars in the capital budget, is not an overnight thing. People know that from renovating their own homes, that you can't winterize something or just do it at the drop of a hat. We have to do better on some of the things that have been mentioned, uh, and, 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 I, and we will do better. We can do better, and we will do better. Uh, the sewage that you mentioned, I can tell you right now, the likelihood of that is that that was caused by the fact that the system was put in place decades ago that mixed together the stormwater and the sewage. And we're spending billions of dollars, started under my watch, to make sure that we separate those systems and put holding tanks in place so that does happen. But again, that's a multi-year, multi-hundreds of millions of dollar project that is being done. These things are being addressed. There are problems coming out of the pandemic and the job, I think, that has to be handed to an experienced leader is to go in there and make sure that we can do better and that we will do better. You say there is no money to winterize the washrooms in the parks. You don't have money to do the sidewalks, but at the same time, you're putting all $1.8 billion to turn down a highway and to rebuild it 100 meters when no city is doing elevated highways in the in the developed no, world. We are, Why are you doing that? Here we are talking about trying to improve uh, services in the present, which is something that I'm very committed to doing. I don't think the city has been nimble enough at sort of doing some decision made seven yeah. years ago about the Gardner Expressway and on which if you stop doing it today and stop work that's already underway, there won't be any money saved. Decisions were made seven years ago and I'm for, just like the transit plan, just like the housing, just like the city's finances, that you're going to need experienced leadership to see us through, carry through on the decisions we've made and not go back and start revisiting and reversing and redebating and rediscussing decisions. That's one of the reasons that leads to uh, inattention sometimes to the things we should be focusing on. You say that you're not satisfied a lot. And one of the things that drives people nuts is the gridlock. And it just seems like every developer that's building a condo just does whatever the heck they want, and streets are closed without any sense. We've talked about coordination in the past, and it did seem to be happening, but it seems to be gone. Part of the challenge for us, and the coordination is happening both through uh, the, the attempts that are made not to have construction happening everywhere at the same time, and also through the creation of, I think, five now construction hubs in the city where areas of particular intense activity, the city has the authority and has taken the authority under my leadership to say the cement trucks can't come to that project at that time because they're going somewhere else, and so on. This is a safety thing as well. But what I will say to you is this. I will not have us slow down on the public works construction that replace the very sewage uh, uh, pipes that you raised in the first question that put in new water mains to replace ones that are 140 years old. When we're building buildings, when the city is growing by 70,000 people a year, they have to have safe water. They have to have the sewage taken away. We're putting in the infrastructure, a billion dollars worth of infrastructure every year to, uh, to do those things. And we have public transit construction. Everybody's in favor of that around this table. That is the key to gridlock in the end, and we're putting in $28.5 billion worth of transit. I want that plan to get done. That contributes to the traffic that you talk about. The housing plan that he's saying is his is Justin Trudeau's. The transit plan that he's championing is his is Doug Ford's. 
everything that he's saying is his. He rode the coattails to victory. And at this point, that is what I expect from leadership. It just downloads its responsibilities, doesn't want to take responsibility for anything, and then will co-opt someone else's project and say, this is mine and I did it. The mayor has abdicated, the mayor has abdicated the city to the province. Places like Ontario Place, him and Ford are giving away Ontario Place instead of a public park, a private spa. I I think that in in every way, I totally agree with Chloe, the the transit plan of the mayor is all of it is the provinces. So he's going to say, I'm going to be laser sharp. Well, laser sharp, why is it that Eglinton has been delayed and delayed and delayed and again is delayed? You're saying that the city has abdicated to the province. It's the province that has the power in the province that treats the city as though it is wearing short pants often, though now you have strong It's very powers. different when the but mayor you know, acts like a cheerleader you know, of the premier you, yeah. than when the mayor acts like the mayor of Toronto. You know I, I will be the mayor of Toronto when I'm dealing with the province or the federals, to your not point, a cheerleader. To your point, yeah. what, I, what I have tried to do, and I've tried really hard at this and with some success through different prime ministers and different premiers, is to make sure that those governments do what they have to do because we cannot get the big things done. There is no transit plan without the other governments participating. There is no big uh, housing plan to uh, address the supply problem without the other governments participating. And I think people should ask themselves very carefully about how we're going to keep those partnerships in place because we need them. We need their money to get these things done, all of these things done. And we need experienced leadership to work with the other governments to get that money to make sure the city can be what it can be in the future. Okay, just a minute. I just want to say something to Gil. And Gil, the last time we talked, when I asked you how you would pay for these things, you also said you'd have to get the money from the other levels of government. So, of course, uh, no, yeah, no, no, you'll no, have no, to be no, a bit nice. No, no, of course, you've got to be nice. For example, the province did a committee on what to do with housing, and that committee came with wonderful recommendations. For example, to solve the, allow people as a right to subdivide their homes. But Mayor Tory was against it. I keep going back to the budget is because there's not enough focus on slimming down the fat. Like, where is this money going? I keep going back to this wasteful spending on, on, on public properties like umbrellas or these street signs to replace a name. Millions of dollars spent. These are, this is no way to spend taxpayers' dollars. And we, and the mayor needs to be held accountable for that. I will just say that people want to look at uh, eight budgets uh, that I brought forward, and in those eight budgets, we've held property taxes uh, increases to add or below the rate of inflation, and at the same time, expanded extensive numbers of services. Uh, you know, we've engaged in all kinds of projects, whether the B transit projects, and we are contributing to those. They're projects that we are partners with the federal and provincial governments, not their program. It's our collective program, and I'm not. I, I'm. I am laser focused on making sure, making sure of that plan, the first one we've had in the history of the city, where all three governments agreed on and on how to pay for it and what transit will be built, that it gets built. Because that's what people expect from leadership, experienced leadership. I'm the same with the housing. And I'm the same with the management of the city's finances. We've got a problem with the city's finances in these uncertain times. And, you know, the solution is not to take a look at what we can do less for people who are the most vulnerable, including people who are experiencing homelessness. The, 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 the task is to find better ways to do things. And we've had to do that every year. We had to find a billion and a half dollars in savings and efficiencies during the pandemic. So we weren't just saying to the other governments, you pay for it all. And we made our contribution by working hard to find better ways to do things, and we will continue to do that. But that takes experience, and it takes uh, the know-how to do that, and that is what I'm offering to people. And I'm just asking the citizens, are you better off today than eight years ago? Even two years before the pandemic, were you better off than six years before? I think that is the question for residents is, are you better off? 
Are you happy? What kind of experience do you want from a mayor? And who do you want? And that's the question. And if we can encourage residents to reflect on that and then get out to the voting stations and then get involved after October 24th, we have more to say. So thank you. That was a segment from this week's CARP mayoral debate. I hope it inspires you to vote and helps you make your decision. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, from fixing the big city to foraging in the woods. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. It's an extension of the farm-to-table movement and the embrace of local food. Many people are returning to an age-old pastime that takes them into the forests. Foraging, a new book explores the mysteries of mycology. The Science of Mushrooms. I talked with author Diane Borsato about mushrooming, the joy of the quiet hunt. I know a lot of people, um, you know, especially during the pandemic, have picked up birding and other kinds of nature pursuits and walking in the forest. And so definitely mushrooming is like mushrooms are having a moment. People are pretty excited about fungi for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, they're they're terribly Instagrammable. So (laughs) a lot of people are interested in fungi, you know, from like students and artists and designers and um, as well as just broadly people interested in nature. I started mushrooming because I I wanted to eat them <laughs> like many people do. I I was offered some chanterelles to eat and those are the apricot colored sort of suede like um very beautiful mushrooms I found them on the east coast and I was nervous about being poisoned uh, like many people so you know if you're interested in edible mushrooms you have to learn the deadly ones too and then of course there are all sorts of other things about mushrooms and walking in the woods that are really enchanting right there um you know it's a way to feel connected to nature you kind of move around attentively and slowly it sort of brings you back to your senses um you know looking at them closely and smelling them and things like that uh so those are some of the reasons i mean they're also just super weird and kind of dazzling um the deadly ones you know the slime molds that actually move around hunting for food um you know, some of them are the, you know, bright colors like precious jewels and some of them are aphrodisiacs or, you know, even very tiny ones, boring little brown ones can actually kill you. And so, um, you know, they're pretty fascinating just in all these different respects. Truffles, of course, are pretty famous as mushrooms that are aphrodisiacs. Uh, they were thought to be, you know, in, in um, historically thought to be the product of thunderbolts hurled by gods. And uh, the smells of them, they've discovered, actually are similar to the sex hormones of pigs and also um, sweaty armpits of men. And so, uh, you know, it's not surprising maybe some of these things that we think of as aphrodisiacs have a connection to the body and to sexuality. And, um, I mean, pigs and dogs are attracted to them, and for some reason, so are we. There's one mushroom that's quite common around Ontario. Uh, you might see it in the park around the base of a tree called Tipler's Bane. And um, just from the name, you have a hint that this is actually an edible mushroom unless you've consumed alcohol within, you know, um, 48 hours or so, either side of consuming it, because the combination of the chemicals in the mushroom interact with alcohol and can make you violently ill, um, why it was called Tipler's Bane. Um, some mushrooms, too, 
are edible only when they're cooked, like uh, morel, for example. There's been many a chef who's poisoned uh, diners because um, they didn't cook morels thoroughly enough. Um, you know, it's a very popular edible, but it must be cooked. And so these are some of the reasons you definitely need to not just know the identity of your mushroom, but also the right way to handle and cook it and prepare it and consume it. There's actually a disclaimer on your book say, saying, don't don't <laughs> use this to pick mushrooms you eat. Yes. Um, you know, I think any one book is just not enough to, uh, you know, I certainly hope that the field guide that I made is useful and will certainly help people to learn about identifying mushrooms. But I think um, it does take years of practice and several books and, you know, certainly walking with more experienced foragers to collect mushrooms for the pot. It's quite a more complicated hobby than foraging for plants, I would say. And, you know, the consequences are so grave if you eat the wrong mushroom. And, you know, the deadly ones are quite common that you definitely want to be careful. And um, any one tool, like an app or one book, I don't think is enough. Do you have a favorite mushroom? Oh my gosh, I keep thinking about this question because, you know, in terms of edibles, I would say my favorites are porcini, which are those delicious, fragrant kind of, um, you know, bodily smelling mushrooms uh, that are very famous in Italy and in Italian food. I love truffles and chanterelles. Um, they're sort of my first love of mushrooms, the orange ones. Uh, I also love the weird ones. Like there's one called bleeding tooth, which looks like a sort of like a Halloween decoration, this strange white mushroom that exudes like red droplets. Uh, I like the destroying angel. It's pure white and quite elegantly proportioned tall mushroom, you know. So, I mean, there are so many. Uh, I couldn't, um, I have a different favorite every time I go into the woods. Can people pick up mushroom tours or anything like that? Well, there are mycological societies around Ontario. Uh, I'm a member of the one in Toronto, and it's a great it's a great way to, you know, pick up an introductory mushrooming course or to go on some forays with, pardon me, with some experienced mushroomers. Um, certainly, you know, you can go mushrooming in your garden in the city park in between the sidewalk, you know, cracks. There's mushrooms everywhere. Sometimes I go mushrooming in Chinatown or in the supermarket and look at all the diverse species that are around. And, you know, if you have a good guide or a, uh, you know, my mushrooming field guide, you can learn a lot about species that you find all around you. Probably there's mushrooms very close to you right now. They could even be growing in your basement. There is a lot of mycophobia among People in North America, just because often we were taught, like, don't touch them, don't go near them, they're dangerous. And so it is It is nice if you have a friend or a relative or members of a society to walk with you because, um, yeah, that's the most wonderful way to learn. Thank you so much, Diane Borsato. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you, too. That was Diane Borsato on Mushrooming, The Joy of the Quiet Hunt. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, 
and The Garden Show.